Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Last week we started a series called The Extraordinary Church, The Extraordinary Church. We started talking about the uh, early church and what that uh, looked like as we read uh, about it in the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The Gospel of Luke is just the Acts of Jesus. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church. And in his writing, he describes a group of ordinary men and women with no formal religious training, could be any one of us, who turned the world upside down by moving the gospel message into all of the world. Their X factor or their edge were that they were radically committed to Jesus Christ. They were so radically committed that when God asked them to stop something, they actually stopped doing it. And there's a thought for us, right? When God asked them to do something, they did it. When he asked them to risk, they went out on a limb and went all in and risked even at their own peril. Completely devoted, not only to God, but devoted to one another and devoted to those who weren't even part of the faith. Their love and devotion was so far-reaching that the pagan leaders would lament that the Christians were not only taking care of their own poor, those within the church, but that they have extended that reach to those who were outside of the church, so much so that the pagan leaders were, were, were being looked down upon because of how much more the Christians were taking care of the people in the community. While society was a hierarchy of the haves and have-nots, the followers of Jesus made it their mission to tear down economic walls and racial divides and gender barriers, and they challenged the social norms. They reached out and and ministered to the widows and the orphans and the elderly and the infirmed, and they formed a reputation of what an extraordinary church looks like. They were one body, one people committed to a common cause. A, A mark of an extraordinary church is the church's understanding of who and what they are. A mark of an extraordinary church is the understanding that you are part of something much bigger than yourself, that reveal is just one segment of many, one puzzle piece of many that when put together form this beautiful thing called the church. Jesus himself, when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he said, but now who do you say that I am? And and upon the answer that you are the Christ, he said that I will build my church. And he said, I will build it in such a way that nothing will ever be able to come against it. Nothing will snuff out its existence. And that is what we are a part of. Jesus building his church church. The only thing Jesus has been a part of since his ascension into heaven, the only thing that he will continue to be a part of until his return is the building of his church. He's a part of it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, building it in every continent, every country, every state, every city, every town, every small out-of-the-way village that we will never hear of. He is gathering together those who call upon his name, and he's assembling them in this beautiful mosaic called the church and you are that church you are a part of something much bigger than yourself we are that church in a few short months we pack up our stuff and we head east on the great reveal migration 
and uh, we have a new building that we're going to be uh, going into. And so I told you last week that we're in a season of preparation. We have to prepare ourselves for what is to come. And I've been talking with staff and leaders, asking, asking them to dream with me on what does a relaunch of Revealed Church look like? What does it look like moving into a new community for the first time, having a permanent space? What are the ministries we can be involved in? What, what does it feel like? What does it look like? I'm asking you that you would dream with us as well. Because if we will be, if we're going to be a life-giving and light-emitting church into that culture, then it will take all of us doing our part. We're going to need your thoughts and your creativity and we're going to need your resources and your leadership in order to propel us forward to be light and life in that community. And we have a lot to do. I was reminded of the stakes uh, three times in the past two weeks. The first was when people very close to me put themselves in harm's way to be first responders in uh, a tragic uh, event in another country. Uh, and went in to rescue people um, in a very dangerous situation. I was reminded last week of the weight and the pressure that rests upon our youth to be something that culture says that you need to be, to look and to function and to live in a way that culture says that you need to live. And I was reminded of that oppressive weight that rests upon our youth. Thursday, I was reminded of the stakes when a mother of a woman who used to attend uh, reveal, uh, attends on and off, um, called me and left a frantic message on the church answer machine saying, it's imperative that I speak with you. And she was afraid that her daughter was taking her life that night. And so Thursday night was a time of phone calls and texts and trying to get a hold of this person who finally responded and said, um, it's funny how God works with me. You always seem to know when to contact me, but I fear that uh, today's, it's too late. And said, please tell my daughter that I love her and that I will always be proud of her. And said, goodbye, Marty. And for the next two and a half hours, it's phone calls and texts and speaking to her mother and getting the police involved. And thankfully, the police were able to locate uh, her and getting help. But I was reminded again of the stakes. And if you ever wonder why we are taking such a risky step of a church, as a church, if you ever wonder why we're going chips all in, it's the, the answer to those questions are all around you. You're part of that answer. I'm part of that answer. I need Jesus. The answer is in your neighbors and in your children and in your children's friends and in your, your parents. And the answer is everywhere because people still matter to God. Jesus said it like this, come to me when you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, and I will give you rest. That's a message that still needs to be told today. And so if you're wondering why we're chips all in, why we're trying to raise 200 grand as a small church to make this move, it's because that story still needs to be told. And you and I are the storytellers. And so we have an opportunity. Go to that image there if you wouldn't mind. The fresh and easy space that we signed our lease on. And uh, waiting for the city to give us a green light to start construction. And what we're trying to do there and uh, relaunching and re-envisioning and being a part of a community. And um, Go to that next image there. I've got some renderings to show you. 
So one of the things that uh, is key in our church moving forward is being able to feel like we have rooted in the community. Right now we're portable, and for many, um, there's, there's kind of a block there. And so we're looking at ways of how can we uh, feel rooted in the community, but you feel rooted as part of your church. In other words, what does it look like for people to come and actually want to hang out at church before and after the service? And so we're envisioning different ideas and just brainstorming. And maybe you have some of those ideas, but there needs to be some community space that's involved. Go to that next image. Uh, some more imagery there of, uh, of some of that outdoor space. Next image there. So that bar top right there, um, that is one of the half walls that every grocery store has that the carts go behind. And we're going to put a countertop on that and put bar stools on uh, either side of it and drill in uh, some cores for some umbrellas. And here's something that we're looking at, just because I don't want you to be shocked at this. We're thinking about putting TVs on the other side of that glass and running football games. And seriously, running NASCAR. And here's why. I'm telling you this up front because I don't want anybody to come to me and say, how dare you bring football into the house of God? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. People will attend church for a myriad of reasons, but every study shows there's one reason that people stay, and it's because of relationships and community. And here's what I know. You get guys together in church, and they'll pass each other, and they'll never say anything. But you get guys together sitting around watching a football game, and everybody starts talking. We get them watching NASCAR, everybody starts talking. And so one of the things that we're, women, you don't have that issue. You're, it's easier for you to talk to people. So, I mean, maybe, you know, whatever you're, my wife's watching, call the midwives. Wait, but we'll show call the midwives on that TV. Not, we won't do that. But I, I'm, we're trying to think of what are some ways that would cause people to actually want to stay, stick around and can build some organic community. I told you last, uh, uh, in December, that there's four arms in our church that are visible. The one is our worship. I think worship will uh, increase greatly just because for the first time ever, our band will have a place to rehearse. Everything the band does is rehearsed on Sunday in a very short amount of time, and they do a phenomenal job for no rehearsal. And then there's children's ministry that is dealing with the restraints of being in a school and having its own space for the first time. I believe children's ministry is going to grow incredibly. The, the third arm is preaching. Preaching is going to be kind of flatline. You're getting the best I can give you. Let's just be honest about that, all right? The last of those arms is community. And that is kind of the unknown, is moving into a permanent space. What will that mean for the community of us? And what will that mean for new people coming in and easily joining us as part of our community. And so we've been spending a lot of time thinking of ways, how do we build organic community into this facility? Go to the next image there. This is the image you'll see when you walk in uh, from the front door. This is the lobby area. We've been collecting reclaimed wood in order to do this project uh, there. And uh, you see some of the seating area. Go to that next image. This is an image uh, looking over the coffee bar area into that same room. The door is to your left. Those windows there are the ones we're thinking about putting a TV up against it to uh, uh, pipe in some different uh, things there. Go to that next image. Uh, Looking from that seating area across into the uh, coffee bar. Uh, Go back a couple images, would you please? Uh, So that hallway there to your left leads down to children's ministry, 
with elementary rooms, uh, a couple different uh, nurseries, three, fours, and fives. Uh, and then there is some storage back there. There's also a hang room right now for your children so they don't have to attend two services if you happen to attend a service and volunteer a service. Go ahead and move on. And one more. Uh, and uh, so you see that upper left one, that hallway down there leads into the sanctuary. There's that little opening right before you get to the sanctuary which leads down a small hallway which will be our sixth uh, or our um, fourth and fifth grade room along with our youth room uh, will be back there. And so one of the things that we're trying to do, um, and the pictures uh, when we get to them, they won't show it uh, very well, but uh, for the last 25, 30 years, churches have tried to steer away from a traditional sanctuary and they have tried to build a church that was very um, uh, generic. Not a lot of uh, religious symbols, you know, sometimes not even any crosses, and uh, it was just kind of a very generic feeling, and it was kind of a, an assembly hall or an auditorium. We're trying to go the other way and to actually build a sanctuary. And so one of the things that, we're, that we've, even in our, in our speaking, calling it a sanctuary, a place that would be a place of refuge, a place that when you enter, you feel that it, it's kind of a sacred space, that it's a space that you're going to meet with God. Now, you can't build that into, you can't build God into walls. I get all that. But you can, through uh, architecture, through design, through some planning, that when people come in, that they feel like, this is kind of a different space. And so we're trying uh, to develop that with some creative ideas. And we're not even sure entirely what it looks like. So like I said, the space won't show it, but let's go ahead to that sanctuary. So one of the things you need to be aware of is you're not going to have a 1,300-seat auditorium. Right now, if you're in the front rows, you have a 512-seat space. Uh, you're going to have probably a 375-seat space, 400-seat space. So that means if you normally don't shower on Sunday, probably should start. You're going to have to sit next to some people. Uh, we're going to go in with two services. I'm praying we have to launch a third service quickly because I'm praying the community comes and we can be storytellers of the gospel. And so be prepared. I don't want you to walk in and think, where's the 40-foot ceilings? There's not going to be 40-foot ceilings. There's not going to be 1,300. You will have seats with cushions, okay? Forget about the hard seats there. We will have seats with cushions for you. Uh, go to the next image there. We will have some, uh, some space. Is there another image? We will have some space off to the sides, uh, 180 degrees from the stage that will have some specialty type of seating. Uh, We're even thinking about bringing in a long, old type um, dining table to kind of have some eclectic seating. Um, There may be some stations in the church that may be in the sanctuary that maybe you're not completely familiar with. But the idea is to set up a space that people feel when they come in that this is a sacred space where we're going to meet and encounter uh, God. So that's all part of what is ahead of us. Hopefully we'll have some children's uh, stuff for you uh, in the future, some of the classrooms, but go to that next slide. So here's what we're up against. Um, next week we start our giving campaign. It's three months, and if uh, you're first time with us, we're uh, trying to raise $200,000, which is a big amount. If you haven't been with us long, I know you're thinking, oh, here we go again, another church talking about money. I wish you could go back through our eight years, and the number of times that we've talked about money, you'll put them on one hand. 
And so that's just not who we are. I have worked really hard to not put you in a position of feeling guilty, feeling your arm has been twisted. That's because that's not who I am. But I do believe what God has called us to. And so we're looking to raise $200,000. The owner's putting in $500,000. A hundred of that is a loan that if we don't pay it off, it just gets put into the rent. But we're hoping to pay that 100000 off. Uh, and then another 50000 to complete build-out, because build-out's a $550,000, $560,000. And then another forty or 50000 that we're going to need for chairs and children's ministry and just getting the place up and running. So $200,000. And so next week, we kick that off. And so here's what we're asking. Asking you first to pray about what part you might play in this. Asking you to pray about how God might want you to sacrifice in this. Uh, And so you'll have a card next week. We're asking that you would bring whatever gift you can for a one-time gift next week. And then you'll have a card and you'll fill it out and say over the next three months, here's what my goal is to give to the Dare to Dream campaign. It will end on Easter. So next week, uh, there will be that offering that will be taken. My hope is, is that uh, God performs an unbelievable miracle. And that at the end of next week, we look at it and say, well, we, you know, we already got the hundred grand. Uh, and to see what God might do. By the way, you know those milk rebates that are going on right now? Hey, just load up everybody on your house. There's some free money. There's something you can give, right? If you don't know about that, look it up for yourself. Um, and so that's next week. And so we'll look at what is our one-time gift next week, and then we'll add up what we're going to have over the next three months, what people will commit to, and then that'll give us an idea of where we fall in all of this. And so please be praying about what that looks like. What might God ask you to sacrifice? Maybe have a car you're selling, or I don't know what that looks like. Um, But I'm trusting that God will speak to you as to what your part is, and I will go to bed at night knowing that I pulled no punches with you, I was straightforward with you, uh, I didn't twist your arm, I presented the vision of what I think God has for us, and that's the Holy Spirit's job to move from there. So I think there'll be, uh, I, I'm confident our best days are ahead of us as a church. Well, let's jump in. We got about a 15 minute talk that I'm going to give today, and um, let's, let's pray. So, God, we step into a crucial season of uh, Reveal's um, life and our future. And Holy Spirit, I'm just praying that you would speak to us. That you would speak to us about generosity and about giving. I pray that even now, as I know, we're clamping down because the talk of money is so, um, such an assault against us. I pray you would lift that off of us. Lift off of us the mindset of scarcity that we're never going to have enough. Lift off of us maybe um, past experiences of churches that, you know, were raised funds through guilt and strong arm tactics. And lift that off. That's not what we want to have any part of or to be to have any part of that. But speak to us about the truth of what's at stake. And speak to us about lives that matter. And speak to us about being a storyteller of the gospel. We dedicate our future to you, anxious to see what you will do through a church of radical followers of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. We're going to continue a short uh, talk today on the Extraordinary Church. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews really isn't a book. It's more of a letter. We don't know who the author is. Uh, It was written around 67 AD. It was written to Hebrews, uh, Jewish followers of Christ who were going through uh, extreme persecution and were thinking about uh, stepping out of the Christian faith. And the thrust of Hebrews is showing the supremacy of Christ, even over Judaism and Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Old Covenant. And so this, this uh, idea that Jesus is supreme and is the only hope of salvation is throughout the letter. Now this letter was written to uh, Hebrews, Jewish Christians, who uh, received the letter and then read it to other churches, and it was passed around, and then it was copied and copied again and passed around and copied again until it was put into the, the canon of Scripture and part of the Bible that uh, we have today. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 3.12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I remember writing to Jewish Christians some 35 plus years after uh, the resurrection who are contemplating leaving the faith or whose faith has become apathetic or lethargic. And so the author begins to encourage them and say, listen, brothers and sisters, see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, who in their right mind would turn away from God? I mean, who in their right mind would, would, would do such a thing? Who would know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do, to do and choose the wrong thing? I mean, who would do such a thing? We all would, okay, if you're not sure where I'm going with this. We all would. And this is what I love about Scripture is that, is that the power of Scripture is still relevant today. This passage could have been written to our church last week. Where it says, brothers and sisters, make sure that no one has an unbelieving heart and would drift away, turn away from the living God. Now, why does it apply to us some 2,000 years later? Because all of us are in the same condition. We all drift. We drift. And we naturally drift away, not only from things that are holy, but we naturally drift away from anything that is good for us or that is healthy for us. Listen, you don't have to convince me to not exercise. I'm really good at it. Because I drift away from things that are healthy and things that are good for me. You've never met somebody who has to work at developing the habit of overeating. And really, it's 21 days. If I can just get through a few, I will nail the habit of overeating. Nobody. Nobody ever steps into counseling saying to their counselor, I really have a hard time spending too much money and going into debt. It's because we drift that way naturally. Everything, we drift away from anything that is healthy, anything that is holy, anything is good for us. The natural gravitational pull of life is toward that which is unhealthy and that which is ungodly. And so the author writes, be aware. And it is every bit as relevant today because we, like them, like them drift. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've believed or what you believe, you have within you the propensity to drift. If it's good, if it's holy, you have to work at it because the natural pull is in the opposite direction. On healthy relationships, if you just go with the flow and allow the current of life to carry you wherever it may be, I can guarantee you that you have a history of unhealthy relationships because you have, to, you have to move the other direction. Forgiveness, the pull is never towards forgiveness. The pull is always towards bitterness, right? 
That's where my natural drift goes, is to pull towards bitterness and unforgiveness. If the choice is between God and myself, if I just kind of jump on the tube and let the current of life carry me, it will never take me to God. It will always take me to self. And so the author says, see to it. None of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Be careful because you, like the rest of us, drift. Regardless of who you are, how long you believe, how long you've been in the church, you have the potential to drift. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you're just coming back from a time of drifting. Or maybe you have your own drift story. Most of us do. Maybe you drifted after a season of bad luck and circumstances that just, uh, storms that just flipped your boat. Maybe you coming back from a drift of a season of, of great luck and Things were so good and so prosperous, you felt, I really don't need God. Maybe you drifted in college, or maybe you drifted on business trips. You didn't mean to, you didn't intend to, it just happened, and you slowly began to drift. See, this is the natural stream we swim in. The current in your stream of life rarely will take you to the place that you want to go. And rarely will take you to a place that is good for you. Rather, it'll take you to the place that is unhealthy and unholy. And if you just jump on the tube of life and let the current of life carry you, it will always cause you to drift to the place that you don't want to be. And so, how do we keep from drifting? Well, the answer is actually in the same text. Because the verse is not written to individuals, but the verse is written to a community, a body of Jewish believers, and that the answer is actually in it. So I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to go to the next slide. But here's what it says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, because you're going to drift. What's the solution? Go to the next one. Listen to what it's saying. Suit to it. Catch the brothers and sisters, plural, that none, I'm going to go Texas on you, that none of y'all has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The idea is, it's not being written to an individual, but it's being written to a community saying this, you need to be aware of what's taking place in the lives of other people in your church, in your community. And you see to it, brothers and sisters, all of you see to it that the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, does not have an unbelieving heart and turns away from God. What the author is saying is you need to check in on one another. You need to be aware and be involved in someone's life. In every area of life, in every area of life that is important, we are swimming upstream. In every area of life that matters to you, you're swimming against the current. Here's why this verse is important, and here's what it's saying. Is that we were never meant to swim alone. That we were supposed to have people in the water with us. That's why brothers and sisters, we were supposed to have people in the water with us. Our children, when they were younger, would get so mad at us because we would not let them swim alone because there's safety in numbers. There's safety in groups. My wife, to this day, she will not swim in the pool at night with the lights off. I remember her telling me this several years into our marriage. I'm like, why won't you do it? She's, I'm afraid someone's going to grab my feet and pull them under. I was like, <laughs> I said, oh, are we like characters in an M. Night Shyamalan movie? It's like, what are we talking about? And she says, who's the guy who doesn't like to keep his hand dangling off the bed at night? I'm like, oh, that's a fact right there. Now, come on. 
So whatever. There's safety in numbers. We were never meant to swim alone. In every area of life that's important, in every area of life that matters, we're swimming upstream and we're not supposed to swim alone. There's safety in groups. There's protection in numbers. And we were supposed to do this thing called the Christian faith together. It's one of the marks of an, ex- of an extraordinary church. In other words, the solution to drifting in the church is the church. The solution to you drifting, in other words, say it like this, we is the best defense against me, we together. And the author is saying you need to take an interest in what's taking place within the body to make sure that no one is drifting. Because here's what happens. Drifting happens within, right? The drift begins within. And you think back to any time that you drifted, before it manifested itself externally, it was taking place internally, right? You know. Maybe you're thinking on those things now. You had a doubt, you had a, a faith crisis of faith, or you thought nobody loves me, or it's, it's greener on the other side, or I could find a better spouse, or this, whatever, before it manifested externally, it occurred internally. And here's the problem internal fighting that's taking place that all of us are struggling with right now does not show up in a row. Meaning, no one will know what's taking place inside of you if all we do is sit in rows together. Where the protection comes in is when people are in the water with you and you move from a row, as Andy Stanley says, to a circle. Well, there are people in your life that can speak truth into you and ask you, what are you thinking right now? What's your struggle? What's going on in life? This is a bad idea. And if you don't have people in your life like that, you are at risk to drift because the drift begins within. Now listen, this building thing has been extremely stressful to me. I haven't been sleeping well. I've been eating like a horse uh, I've been stressed out, and last week I gathered a couple uh, people, and I told them, I need you to check in on me, because I'm not at my best right now, and said, I, 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 I'm giving you permission, meaning, listen, some of you, you may need to go to someone and say, I need your help, and that's okay, take off the mask, and to go to someone and say, I need you in the water with me, because I'm going upstream, and I'm tired. And that's okay. That's a good place to be. A bad place to be is to say, I'm going upstream, I'm tired, and I'm losing ground, but I'm keeping it to myself. Eventually, you will drift to a point that is harmful to you. See, your heart does not show in a row. The only way you develop trust and relationships with people that you can enter into that kind of accountability with it does not happen ear to ear you're ear to ear with people right now but it happens face to face and you're gonna need to get face to face with some people and I'm just telling you because I've done this a long time I know it and whether you've read the passage before you know it if you are the only person in your life that knows the struggle you're going through, you will drift. You know it. Because we've all done it. And then he goes on to say, Hebrews 3.13, give me three minutes, we'll close. He says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. 
as part of this community called the church, we all have a responsibility to encourage. Now, that just doesn't mean root one another on like, woo, keep going. It's stronger than that. It actually means to, to entreat and to admonish and to comfort and console and appeal and to exhort and to urge and to beg and to implore, to, to get beneath the surface and say, what's going on in your life? And it may mean saying, man, don't give up. Don't drift. Hang on. I'm here with you. I will anchor you in this spot. Think how different your life might look if years past you did not swim alone. If you had people that said, hey, bad decision right there. Most of us have a story like, yeah, my life would look different. Think how your parents' life might look different if they had people in the water with them that said, what are you thinking right now? If my parents had that, different game. It's that crucial for us. And so it says, who, who's in your life? And then it goes on. This is, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Next passage, verse 14. It says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Here's what the author's saying in all of this. And we skip through stuff because I don't have a lot of time. It says, you know that you're still following Jesus if you hold to your original conviction. He's saying, you have to hang on to your original conviction by not allowing yourself to be deceived by sin and thus drift. And how do you keep from being deceived? How do you keep from drifting? By having people in the water with you who are looking out for your well-being. And it just so happens that this month we are promoting our regroups. I don't know how that message lined up with this. It's amazing how that happened. Listen. Out in the lobby, there's some of these Community Beyond Sunday cards. And there's all different types of groups. Find one that works for you. Find one to get involved in some community. Get some people in the water with you. It won't happen immediately. But over time, if you move from ear to ear and move face to face, you will be in a better place spiritually and you will be more protected. And so here's your opportunity for you. For one, I'm doing, my wife and I are doing a leadership group. Check that out. we got marriage groups. we got a young adult group. We have uh, men's groups and Bible studies and some groups that are Bible-based and some groups that uh, run off of a DVD and have a, a Bible teaching that goes along with it. We have a women's group and an FPU group. Maybe that's something that you're looking for. And, uh, find something that works for you because you need people in your life and in the water with you. All right, stand with me. So we're preparing. Part of our preparation is that we grow tighter in community because when we move, we're going to have an influx of people and we need a base to take these people in, love them, uh, put our arms around them, and, and then bring them into the community. But we have work to do on our own first. Consider a group. Maybe your group is just you want to get together with your children and go to a family group and play games. we got a group like that too. Just get to know people. Take a simple first step. Play softball with us. Play on one of our soccer teams. Find something that works for you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I'm excited about the future. Uh, I'm excited about the unknown. It can be a time of some anxiety, but 
I'm excited that we're not staying in with the status quo. I'm excited that you're stirring us and moving us. And I'm excited that we're being challenged as a church. I think we need to be challenged. and You need to stir something in us that if you're not in it, we failed. That's what faith is. I'm excited about possibilities moving forward. I'm excited about ministries that we can form and out-of-the-box things. of Maybe purchasing a laundromat and providing free laundry and a, a message of the gospel while people wait. There are so many things that we can do that are outside of the norm. That if we would just embrace some creativity, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and see what you might have for us. And so together we commit as a church, as one piece of the puzzle in numerous pieces, we join in with those around the world who represent Jesus. And we take our place among them. And we commit that we will be life givers. And we will admit, uh, emit light from us. That the light of Jesus would shine through us. Speak to us this week about our giving. Speak to us this week about our mindset of scarcity. Speak to us of the tight grip we hold on money. Whatever that needs to look like. Pray your blessing upon each person here. For your face to shine upon them. Your hand to rest over them. To sense the mercy of God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 